0: So we feel more closed hearted when we're in that state of fear. And that happens as a a type of protection, really. But unfortunately, a side effect of a closed heart means we're less connected with ourselves. So it's harder for us to hear our own intuition, our own gut feelings, our own sense of what is true for us and what's right for us as individuals. But what it also does, it doesn't just create that sense of disconnection from ourselves, it creates that sense of disconnection from others and the world around us, too. So that's when we start seeing division, not just in ourselves, but division between one another.
1: Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I'm excited to introduce to you the beautiful Helen Patterin. This beautiful soul is a naturopath, nutritionist, medical herbalist, and an author. She's been in clinical practice since 2001, and she works from one of Sydney's most highly regarded integrated medical centers, along with GPs, a pediatrician, and other practitioners. This beautiful soul's mission is to educate and promote awareness about a truly nourishing diet and lifestyle for everyone. She's passionate about things like fermented foods, traditionally prepared whole foods that are free from damaging and unnecessary processing and additives. She also helps people with chronic conditions from autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue, syndrome, um, depression, anxiety, ASD and ADHD, all of which have been on the rise in the last couple of decades, many of which are overlap, have overlapping underlying factors. She has a beautiful approach. She has an incredible ambassador for the MIND Foundation and has presented for Health Masters Live ACNEM, providing postgraduate education for GPs, naturopaths, nutritionists and other healthcare professionals. This woman holds a bachelor degree in health sciences, advanced diplomas in nutrition, herbal medicine, remedial massage, and postgraduate training in the treatment for metabolic, neurologic, digestive, and immune disorders. Look, I could rattle on about all her qualifications, but you're going to love today's podcast. We really do dive deep about this pandemic, about what's happening, what really is behind all the meaning, the drive, the political side of it the marketing and all of the things in behind really what's driving people to make decisions, what's driving our fears, no matter what side of the equation you sit on, fear of the disease or fear of the vaccine. Either way, we're actually all in this together. And what I really love about today's podcast is the way Helen brings it back to the heart space about honoring, having kindness and compassion, not only for other people and their views and opinions, but what about kindness and compassion for yourself? I know you're going to really enjoy the show. You might want a pen and paper as you hear her notes. But if you want to know how to get in touch with Helen personally, check out the show notes. Make sure you follow her on social media. And if nothing else, today's podcast is truly not only around some of the academia, the intellect, and the ideas around what we're doing to support ourselves through this time, but more importantly, about the humanness, who we truly are, as we all navigate our ways through a, a pandemic, if you, if you like, of not knowing. None of us really know the true answers or the true questions on how to survive or thrive through this time. So, you know, I think strap yourselves in, get ready, because you are going to love this beautiful soul's approach to the whole way of how we can do it with love, kindness, compassion, and also understanding our fears, anger, and upsets also play a role. So, if you've got any beautiful feedback from today's podcast, make sure you go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, Kim Morrison, and the number 28 on Instagram. And of course, you can follow the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. You are going to love this exquisite soul. I cannot wait to share her with you. Take care, be kind, and enjoy today's show. As you know, the beautiful Helen Patterin is one of my dearest friends, and I am absolutely delighted to share her now with you guys on the Self-Love Podcast. And as you are about to hear, our beautiful girl is doing some very big work, not only for the physical and the mental and emotional side of our well-being, but also from a heart-centered space. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, beautiful Helen.
0: Oh, Kim, it is such a pleasure to be here. I know it's been um, brewing for a long time, so I'm just really excited to be able to sit here and have an open-hearted chat with you today. Well, you know,
1: we both come from the heart. We both really care about different aspects of humanity. We have lots of deep dive conversations, and we Mm -hmm. certainly have open-hearted conversations in this current world that we're in. As a naturopath, a nutritionist, a medical herbalist, an author, a speaker, uh, all the things that you do, (laughs) how are you honestly feeling in the world right now?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, You know, I think I am riding, you know, a bit of a roller coaster with um, everyone, really. I mean, there's so many things that keep changing and even though, from the beginning of this, I had a pretty clear intuition and sense of what was going to happen and how it was going how it was going to roll out it 's one thing to have that sense, and then it 's another thing when those things actually come into play and so i 've really noticed you know my own nervous system and my own patterns and beliefs and my own triggers and the things that tend to kind of ramp up the the nervous system response in me and it's been i guess in that sense <laughs> a good opportunity to pause and take stock and go okay so when i'm feeling the way i'm feeling where is this coming from within myself is this something that is actually related to the present moment? Or is it something that is um, a pattern from my past? And and how can I operate in this space with all this uncertainty going on? Because, you know, as humans, we need a degree of uncertainty, but we also need a good degree of certainty. And having a lot of uncertainty um, for a human is a stressful thing, right? It, It kind of rattles and shakes those foundations of our safety and our security, that base chakra kind of rootedness in the ground and, and knowing um, where we belong and that we've got food and we've got shelter and, you know, all those basic things. Um, and so when there's that un- uncertainty, it can really challenge a lot of that. So it's been um, a practice for me for... Really staying embodied, staying in my body, not in my mind, because obviously our minds can just go, you know, crazy with so many things going on and conjure up all sorts of stories and feelings and beliefs. And yet, when we come back into our body, or when I come back into my body, that is where I come back to the present moment and feel a lot more calm, centered, grounded, empowered able to make a decision for my best good from a grounded place rather than making decisions out of reaction or fear or anything like that. So there's just so much for our nervous systems to navigate at the moment on a daily basis, an hourly basis, sometimes a minute to minute basis, you know, navigating things with work or friends or family or um, going to the shops and you know just things you wouldn't normally even consider considering before are suddenly considerations that you're having to make all of the time so yeah I've been needing I guess a lot more um, focus on self-care and rest and just nurturing nurturing of myself to to hold myself and carry myself through these times. I
1: can't agree with you more. And I think someone with your level of expertise around anatomy, physiology, neurology, understanding how the biomechanical processes occur within the body, particularly from a nervous system. I imagine as a therapist, you are seeing, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I'm imagining Mm. you're seeing an increase in nervous-related, stress-related disease and illness. Is that a
0: fact? Absolutely, like, yeah, clinic the last few months, especially, you know, um, with more lockdowns in more places and more restrictions and more pressures and coercions is bringing up a lot of different things for a lot of people. So there's already been the baseline stuff that they were dealing with that we we're all dealing with um, before the added pressure. And then that added pressure or isolation or whatever the flavour is for any given person, that is really enhancing it. And it's not just mental, emotional and psychological. There is that aspect and that is really big. Um, So we'll start there, but then there's also the link there with the physical. So on the the, um, mental and emotional, spiritual kind of soul level side of things, We know that when we are in a state of fear, it activates a part of our brain called the amygdala. And when that happens, our frontal lobe shuts off. So our frontal lobe is where we um, house our logic and our reason and our ability to critically think and to look at two sides of a story and um, make our own opinion about such a thing, right? Right. But when we're in what's called an amygdala hijack or amygdala overdrive, that goes out. So then we go into more of this reactive state of being where we can make decisions more out of a sense of fear than a sense of empowerment. And it also tends to energetically shut off our heart. So we feel more closed hearted when we're in that state of fear and that happens as a, a type of protection, really. But unfortunately, a side effect of a closed heart means we're less connected with ourselves. So it's harder for us to hear our own intuition, our own gut feelings, our own sense of what is true for us and what's right for us as individuals. But what it also does, it doesn't just create that sense of disconnection from ourselves. It creates that sense of disconnection from others and the world around us too so that's when we start seeing division not just in ourselves but division between one another and I think you know it doesn't matter where your opinions and beliefs lie on the spectrum of opinions and beliefs of everything going on right now there is a lot of fear happening on both sides there's a lot of that heart shut off from both sides there's a lot of division on both sides and and it's creating those sides you know rather than it being this thing of we're all in it together so one of the things that really helps us to open up the heart again is to get us out of our heads and to get us out of our heads that's when our senses really come into play which is a beautiful thing you can use oils for for example but our senses really bring us back to the present moment and into our bodies. So it can be something as simple as having a two-minute pause where you might just close your eyes and notice the weight of your sits bones on the chair and your back being supported by the back of the chair and noticing what you can smell and noticing the air brush against your skin and noticing as you inhale in and out where fabric moves on your skin, Um, you know, things that you can hear without naming them. All those things help to bring us back to the present moment and out of our head. It brings us back into our body. And then there are other things that you can do as well, like dance or shaking. Shaking is something that is a fantastic trauma release and um, tension release process. So I'm a big fan of shaking which we can run through too if you like but um dance and physical play where you're just having fun (laughs) and laughing and giggling and being silly like those things are so important all the time but especially in times like this when there is a heightened intensity um going on in so many areas of so many people's lives so that is a really good way to help calm that anxiety and the separation. So there's that side of things. And then we know from the study of neuropsychoimmunology over the last many decades, four decades or more, um, we know that when we are in that stress state, that, that state of fight, flight or freeze, it affects our endocrine system, our hormones, and it affects our neurotransmitters So, and our nervous system innovation. So our nervous system and our hormones are these governing mechanisms over every single cell and function in our body, okay? So when stress affects the overarching governance of the body, then all sorts of things can go on physically as well. Like we know, for example, that stress um, impacts white blood cell production what's and function. And what are our white blood cells? They're our, uh, uh, the major part of our immune system, okay? So we know that high stress impacts immune function and we know that that can make us more susceptible not only to infection but also to things like cancer if it's a long-term thing down the track. Um It can also affect our um, reproductive hormones, affecting um, cycles and fertility. It affects our ability to be able to produce digestive acids and enzymes. And as a result, it then impacts how we're digesting our food and how we can absorb our nutrients. And those nutrients, of course, are the building blocks for everything in our body, so our cells, our neurotransmitters, our hormones, our enzymes, like literally everything in your body is made out of those nutrients that you're eating, so if you're stressed and your you know digestive acids and enzymes and digestion is not working so well, you're already on you know more fragile footing, so again, any practices that can help calm our nervous system put us into a state of rest and digest that can get us back into our bodies and out of our minds, that can open our hearts. It's so important not just for our mental and emotional well-being but also for our physical well-being. And again, it's in times of stress where we need to put the biggest emphasis on those practices to remain well and resilient and empowered throughout really challenging times.
1: I want to ask you a question and I'd love you to answer it as honestly as you can. Hearing everything you've just said then, knowing that from a nutritional level and stress and all of the things that you've mentioned and how it impacts us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, how on earth then, in your opinion, are we subjected to so much fear and bullying, for want of a better word, it feels like um, more stress is put on us through you know, media, through um, social media, through news channels, how on earth, if these medical scientists and specialists are at the top of the field, how do they not know this one question and then how on earth are they allowing this to continue, knowing that stress is such a big part of all illness and disease?
0: Mm, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So so many layers to that. So I guess what first thing we need to remember is that all doctors, scientists, politicians, um, whatever profession, however intellectually smart they might be, they're all still human. And a lot of the time, you know, uh, part of the human experience is experiencing trauma of some degree throughout your life, whether it is um, minuscule, whether it is a million tiny arrows of trauma over time that build up, or whether it is... um, Large horrific events. Trauma happens in all sorts of shapes and forms. If we don't become aware of the patterns that are created as a result of those traumas, we keep playing these subconscious patterns in the background that we're not really even aware that we're doing until we become aware of it, right? Until we actively pursue healing those wounds. And so while there might be all these amazingly smart and intelligent adults out there, a lot of them are really, and all of us, you know, myself, every single one of us, a lot of the time we're, we're actually wounded children in adult suits, you know. <laughs> so we're walking around looking like adults but we're still reacting from this state of not having our needs met or not feeling safe or secure at some point in our life, Okay. So that that is part of it, um, which is a big reason why I'm very passionate about really encouraging everybody to get really curious about themselves and to do their own healing. Because when we do that healing on an individual level, we start to heal on a collective level as well. We never heal in isolation. Whenever we heal, it heals something in someone else as well. It's just you know, we're always interacting with others. Others are always around us and how we are within that space affects others. So the more we can take ownership of our own stuff and start with support and um, compassion and empathy from ourselves and another, start to heal that, the more we help the healing of the collective. So I think, you know, that that is a huge part of it. And then, of course, you know, from our life experiences, We have innate biases, you know, so we're going to look for things that support our story as well and it can take quite a lot of courage to go, okay, well, maybe there's another story or maybe this story isn't what I thought it was or maybe um, what I thought was this reality actually isn't or maybe there's some grey between that black and white, you know. So um that's another aspect and then gosh we've got so much um influence from industry happening at the moment as well so we've always known since you know the beginning of industry that industry doesn't always have the best interests of the consumer at heart right um, some industry is amazing and is really benevolent, and others um, not so much. <laughs> so we have a lot of um, vested interests in certain narratives that are at play at the moment as well. And you know, this where does you know where does that come from? Like, would people really want to cause harm? Or, I mean, there's people who some people think are doing harm, and some people. Those people who you perceive are doing harm are also genuinely feeling like they're doing something really good to help humanity. So this is where I think we need to be able to meet and come together with open-hearted discussion and debate and, like, friendly debate and be okay with disagreeing with someone as well. We've suddenly got into this culture through this process of, if someone disagrees with you, you can't be friends with them or you know almost that's what I see a lot happening fortunately. I um, have a whole mix of friends with all sorts of beliefs and and we can have discussions but so many people I speak to it's like if they disagree with a friend or a family member on one particular thing they can't can't speak to them anymore or they're they're ostracized from that community. Um, So, yeah, it's really very fascinating how quickly this shift in being able to converse and being able to have different points of view and being able to have debate, like, you know, we have seem to have lost a lot of that lately. And I think, again, that becomes out because we're coming from this place of fear and insecurity and hearts closed off because otherwise there are things that have happened in the last year between people that you just would never imagine would happen you know the the meanness or the cruelty or the um yeah just the lack of care you know so there's i think many many layers to it yeah I
1: agree One of the things that's incredibly tricky for people to decipher, particularly if we're used to one mainstream narrative, is the potential to open our hearts, minds and intellect to other sides, doesn't matter which side you're on. Mm. And one of the hardest things people from an ego point of view is to be thought of as wrong. Mm. And another aspect of humanity is to know that you have tribes, groups of people who feel the same. We feel safer in numbers. How on earth can someone go, what is the need or what is the possibility for the need to actually create an opposite or a more open-hearted conversation with someone who's closed or perhaps does believe that that narrative is the only one on either side? How do we open that heart? I certainly don't feel like aggression is working, but how would you believe we could go about having these more healthy debates, open-hearted conversations?
0: Yeah, well, I guess there's there's lots of different methods and techniques and approaches one can take, but I guess, you know, maybe everyone needs to get a copy of nonviolent communication and read that. <laughs> that could that could be helpful at the moment. I think you know one of um your favorite books, The Four Agreements comes to mind as well of you know, one of those agreements is uh, don't take anything personally, right? And I think a lot of people are taking a lot of other people's opinions personally right now. And I think if we can just pause, I think pauses are so important, right? So, again, if we can just pause for a moment and just hear what they're saying but not make it mean anything as well, just go, okay, that's interesting rather than, oh, that's wrong, you're, right. you're wrong, I'm right kind of thing. Um, from, you know, and a field that I'm studying at the moment, I'm currently studying somatic experiencing, which is a type of trauma therapy. And, you know, you can do that in group work. I haven't learnt how to uh, facilitate that in group work yet, but on a one-on-one basis, that is really powerful in terms of going into your own experience of what does it mean for you to be wrong or right. You know, sometimes it's, um, I guess, things from uh, my own experience, you know, being wrong could be... um, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, um, I won't be looked after, I'm not safe. Um, so where do those things come from, you know, and where are you holding it in your body? Because the body remembers, right? We we don't hold everything and we don't hold all our memories in our minds. We hold many of them in our body. Um, that's part of that psychoneuroimmunology. Um, but from a trauma perspective, We often hold it in our body because at the time a stress or trauma occurred, there wasn't the safety, the space, the time or the company of a present empathic other to be able to fully release or express whatever that tension was at the time. And so we hold it in. We hold it in. And then... Something could happen later down the track which has nothing to do with that experience but something about it reflects the feeling that we had in that experience and so then we react as though we're in that past experience. And so that's why doing the one-on-one work and the whole, you know, know thyself journey is so important because the better we know ourselves, the less threatened we're going to be as well in the presence of others with different opinions, the the more okay and open-hearted we're going to be regardless of what another's opinion is. And the more able we're going to be able to have those kinds of conversations and and debates where we can be open to learning things and open to going, you know what, I don't know everything. How... (laughs) how insane to think that I do, you know. I don't know everything and what might I be able to learn and what is someone else saying that, oh, maybe I can see where they're coming from or maybe I agree with them from this but that doesn't quite sit right with me. You know, just because you don't agree with one one thing a person says as well doesn't mean that you discount the entire person or anything else they have to say, you know um we're we're pretty broad beings you know we've got a lot of dimensions and and shapes and shades to us so we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater yeah
1: mm. beautifully answered do you think then from I'm going to ask you a deep question. You don't have to answer it because I'm just curious as to how people go with this. Mm. Many people say, you know, they're making us do this. They're making us not do this. They're insisting mm. we do this. That who is they in your opinion?
0: Mm. It's an interesting word, isn't it? It's, um, I'm-, <laughs> I'm laughing because there's a couple um, angles to this too I mean you could say they is you know this top one percent of um, if you call it the top you know the the one percent are rich families of the world who basically own pretty much every industry that has you know hundreds of different businesses and sub industries under it um, some would say that is they you know but I think Another day is a concept um, it's a it's a, It's a mental construct as well. So I think both things are true there's there's the actual days the people um, who are in places of perceived power and I think perceived is a key word there because people only have power that they earn or are given right so and we give away a lot of our power we've been brought up in a culture to not take responsibility for ourselves whether it is our income or our health care um or our education even you know a lot of it we want to hand over we've been brought up to hand over that responsibility we've been brought up to see responsibility as this heavy, icky, um, don't want to do that kind of word. You know, it feels weighted when, as you know, when you break down the word, it's our ability to respond, which is actually a very empowering place to be, right? So when you are responsible, you're empowered to make decisions from a different place. And you also see that you have more choice. Because when you're not responsible, you don't have so much choice because then you're at the whim of whoever's making the calls. But if you take on that responsibility and go, no, actually, I'm going to make this call for myself, that gives you a lot more options. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It often isn't easy. Um, But then not having any choice isn't easy as well, right? So which which state of uneasiness are you happier to... Swim in. <laughs> so um yeah i think they can be this construct that we give to the power we have handed over and let go of um ourselves so that we can feel helpless and be a victim and um have an excuse for not taking certain actions or not stepping up and forward. Um, And I know, like, I really get that that is incredibly scary and difficult territory a lot of the time, especially if it's a big leap from where you've been, from where we've been, then it's quite terrifying, you know. And so then it can be really tempting to go oh no I'll just go with it I'll let them take care of it they're the ones you know that's their job they're in they've got the power um so I'll let them do it but really (laughs) I mean the the people in places of power are vastly outnumbered by the general population so all the general population has to do is stay true to themselves and each other. (laughs) That's kind of as simple and as complicated as it gets. And if we did that, we would have, I believe, a much, I mean, it's, you know, politics is tricky. I'm not going to pretend that I've got the answer to the world's political problems. But if we had more empowered people, we'd have less problems. We just, there's people who like who get really hungry for that power, though, and I believe that comes from a wounded space because that is their way of feeling safe and secure themselves because they, they probably didn't when they were young. So, yeah, we've all got to do our own healing.
1: <laughs> agreed, agreed. Awesome. And the other side of anyone that's in a state of fear is always what's the question behind what's created that or that belief of that fear that may not even be true in Mm. anyone's mind. It's all a a perception or a belief really. Mm. But I want to go back to now, and I really appreciate your insights, but as a nutritionist, someone Mm. who has a science degree, someone who has taught anatomy and physiology and understands the gut, brain, heart, health, all of the connections and definitely has a beautiful understanding of neurology and immunology. Could you explain to us then how a vaccine was developed and why and what it's done for humanity because the the, the things that I hear everyone say is the belief around the polio vaccine has completely saved us, therefore, why would you not follow the same narrative? Is this vaccine different to what we've had in the past? The different ones, mm. and if so, why is there a fear on the other side of people not so willing to take it?
0: Mm. Yeah, well that that's a that's a huge kettle of fish. So I guess um, I've actually just uh, ordered a book on the whole polio vaccine side of things because. My understanding of that is limited at the moment but I, from some of the reading that I have done and some interviews I've listened to as well, um, that isn't what it seems to be or wasn't what it appears to be. Um, So I'm not going to, I won't go deep dive into that at the moment because I don't feel like I've got all the pieces of the puzzle in play. But um, I highly recommend people looking into that and perhaps looking at alternate stories around the experience of that era and that vaccine. Um, you know, there are, if we jump forward to this vaccine, um, this is very different from any other that we've had in the history of vaccines, right? So. For many reasons as I think most people have heard by now it typically takes a minimum of seven years to 15 years to develop a vaccine right so these are things that take a long time um, to produce in a way that is deemed relatively safe and there can be debates around that as well in terms of past vaccines um, but Previous vaccines have included a um, part of the, either alive or dead, basically, um, part of the pathogen that is being vaccinated against, right? And the vaccination's purpose is to prevent transmission and to prevent you from getting it, okay? So... Whereas this um, era that we're in now, that is the mRNA ones in particular, and I I believe there's actually similar stuff going on with um, like AstraZeneca, which isn't mRNA but also affects DNA. These are things that are basically coding for your cells to make an identifying protein um, from your own cells that looks like the protein that's on the virus or a protein that's on the virus. And so what you're doing is producing that threat kind of within your body, yeah? And that's where some of the, I guess, concern has come about with um, quite a bit of the research is what happens to the immune system when it is primed in such a way, like put on high alert in such a way because your cells are actually making the threat. And then what happens when you're then exposed to the wild virus? Because the results of that in animal studies have certainly not been favourable to say the least. Um, And the reason being is because the immune system has been primed in this way that when it's exposed to a wild virus then there's this overreaction because it's already amped up and then it overreacts and then that overreaction is actually what causes the damage and um potential death, you know. So it's it's pretty concerning in that sense, not to mention some of the other ingredients um that are in it. You know, you can go and research graphene oxide for example and and um what impacts or effects that might, might have. So there there are a few of the concerns. Then the other reason why um, these are such a concern, other than they've been, you know, produced brand new technology in a record period of time and we have no long-term data whatsoever for general population, let alone for pregnant women or children, We, we there's no way that they can truthfully say they are safe and effective because aside from like the safety thing, we just don't know. We're seeing a lot of things that would indicate not so safe, certainly seeing a lot of that in clinic. Um, And in terms of effective, well, we know that they don't stop transmission, right? They may um, reduce uh, the the rate of hospitalization, but even that's debatable if you look at studies from different countries. So this is something that doesn't even um, stop transmission. If you can get it, um, if you get it, you can still pass it on and you can still catch it. Okay. If you know, or you can still contract the disease. So it doesn't fit the previous definition of a vaccination. Um, Prior to I think it was October last year on the World Health Organisation website, you know, herd immunity was defined, it's probably still defined in textbooks that can't be edited so readily um, as when 70 to 80% of the population has either got antibodies from having had the infection or antibodies from a vaccination, just 70%. 70 to 80% in total of people who have had the infection or had the vaccination. Whereas now they've changed the definition on the World Health Organization website to only when, you know, um, when that it's only achieved through vaccination, not through having the infection. So suddenly definitions are changing, <laughs> which kind of raises a red flag. Um, so that is part of it. So, in terms of reaching vaccination status amongst the community, from a herd's immunity perspective, they, being you know the powers that be, the government who are putting these um, mandates in place, should be totally happy to stop at seventy to eighty percent vax rate, or even better, test people for antibodies. And a combination of people who have antibodies from infection that they might not even have had symptoms for, but they've had it um, in combination with those who have had a vaccination that would um, class then as reaching herd immunity, which protects the most vulnerable people so yeah, there's that side of things. What was the other thing? There was one more I was going to make oh the other um the other part of the picture is. There are known therapeutics that are cheap and like very cheap and very readily available um, when they're not inhibited, that are effective at early treatment. And these are early treatments are showing that if you get onto this straight away, your chances of being hospitalized are next to zero, you know. Um, and if you do get hospitalized, like that's that's when you're in trouble. But very, very few people should be getting into hospital because these early treatments should be made readily available. There is so much research on them prior to COVID. And since COVID, there has been more specific research on them in relationship to COVID specifically. And the outcomes of them have been pretty extraordinary, you know. So the fact that these um, medications and supplements are being withheld and the information about them being censored and suppressed, um, that also raises massive red flags because that to me says, in no way is this about health, yeah? This is about, from from my perspective, this is about control. So um, if it was about health, we'd be, having conversations and um, TV shows and news articles about how to improve your sleep and how to eat well and how to um, move well and what about quality water. And everybody who had a COVID test would simultaneously get a vitamin D test because we know that that is a remarkable correlate with um, Chance of infection, severity of infection, and outcome of infection. Um, one of the biggest indicators of all of those things is vitamin D levels, and that is something that is so cheap and and easily available. So you know, getting that tested along with a COVID test that would be good medical practice, in my opinion. Um, instead of spending twenty six million dollars on an advertising campaign for a pandemic and a Vaccine, like I honestly believe, if if it was a pandemic to the degree that the news makes out that it is, you wouldn't need to spend twenty six million dollars to convince people. You know, people would go, "Okay, yes, I want protection. Um, I'm, I, I am not going to resist this because I can see that the benefit outweighs the risk." But when so many things that are safe have like an excellent safety profile have shown to be very effective when those things are being withheld and only one thing is being provided as the solution to get out of this um that's when we really have to kind of step back and, and question things um yeah
1: oh, incredible answer and so clear i want to ask you another question one of the things i've heard people like you cindy o'meara Beautiful practitioners in health and health, and beautiful people that we follow that have huge qualifications behind their name, particularly from a nutritional point of view. One of the things I hear all the time is not one diet fits all. Mm. Wherever we're from can also indicate what we best are suited to, as far as dietary recommendations for even your genetic material, knowing that what you are is what you eat and what you eat becomes what you are. Mm. How then, I've got two questions for you. How then can one, two, maybe three vaccines be right for everybody if we Mm. know even nutrition isn't the same for everybody? Mm. Everybody responds to different medications differently, which is why there's safety data and risks Mm -hmm. with all medications. Mm -hmm. And number two, just while you're on that topic, how on earth have we managed to vaccinate the whole world when we haven't been able to feed the whole world?
0: Yeah, good question. So I guess um, number one, yeah, one size does not fit all, um, full stop. It's just it has never been the case, um, certainly uh, not with, food not with lifestyle not with what climate we live in you know some people do great in a dry climate others do great in a humid climate some people do great in the hot and the cold you know um some people do great on raw food some people need cook some people need more protein some people need more carbohydrates uh, there are so many variations and we know with pharmaceuticals that it is absolutely not a one size fits all there's We're getting more into this genomic era where even, you know, with, um, let's say, breast cancer medications, there are gene tests done to determine which breast cancer medication, if you go down that route, is going to be the one that's actually going to be effective for you or because what's effective for one person may be totally ineffective for another or even dangerous for another, you know. So the fact that we're getting this one-size-fits-all for everybody, man, woman, pregnant, breastfeeding, teenager, adult, child, babies coming up. I saw um, from a friend in the States a, um, a PowerPoint presentation from their school that was saying, you know, shots for six months since six-month-olds coming. I mean, it is mind-boggling that we would think, in my opinion, (laughs) that it's okay to inject brand-new technology into a six-month-old, a child, a pregnant woman, anyone for that matter, when we have no idea of the long-term effects, let alone the scarily high rates of short-term effects that are unfolding. So even the Age newspaper the other day, you know, we're talking mainstream media here, um, reported that there were over 10,000 claims for compensation in Australia for vaccine injuries for the COVID vaccine. (laughs) Like there's more reactions to this shot than there has been for every other shot combined in the last 30 years if you look at the databases. So, yeah, we're just really playing with fire. What was the second part of your question?
1: <laughs> well, if we can manage, you know, taking the one,
0: uh, yeah. one thing I feeds know. all, how are yeah, we feeding,
1: yeah. you know, the world? Yeah,
0: and how are we not feeding the world? I mean, this was a, I did a post on this early ish last year, I think it might have been May last year or something like that. I did a post on imagine, like look at how quickly we in air quotes pulled so many resources together to spend on this one event. Yeah. I mean it is staggering. It's hard to comprehend. I mean that $26 million marketing budget, that was just for Australia you know that's not the millions and billions spent around the world okay imagine if we spent that much money educating villagers and farmers on um, permaculture in syntropics and sustainable agriculture where we're getting back to working with nature instead of fighting against it or thinking that we're better and more almighty than nature and trying to override the rhythms and laws of nature. Imagine if we put those resources into educating kids in school of where their food comes from and how it's grown and getting them excited about producing food and having that connection with what they're eating. I mean, we could put that money into... Um, safe water resources as well because that is one of the big killers in developing countries is just not having access to clean water. So these things are all possible. The the means are obviously there to do it because they've suddenly appeared, you know, they've suddenly appeared to be able to um, pay for this crisis and pay for or the government handouts for everybody who wasn't able to go to work, like where did all that money come from? We're we're a country that's already in debt, you know. So, um, yeah, we've just totally, in my opinion, misdirected funds and energy and action. Um, And I guess part of that, again, comes down to, the issue with centralized systems rather than acting locally for global benefit you know so i think we need more local support more local villages more local farms more 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 things that are close to home and that people are actually engaged with rather than this huge disconnect from our food, our resources, our, our clothing, you know, all the things that most of us don't even think about. Imagine if those things were shut off or not available to us anymore. How many of us would be able to make our own clothes or even know how to make fabric or, you know, grow some food and build a shelter? It, it's, I think there's that again, big disconnect from our, the reality of our needs and our, um, Sustenance. So, yeah, getting back to local agriculture would be number one for me. Grow food everywhere, not in these big farms that are owned by few people.
1: Uh, A beautiful mentor of mine, also an avid researcher and has a degree in biomedical science, is a naturopath, uh, sorry, a nutritionist and a chiropractor, and as I said, a biomedical scientist. He always said to me, if ever you feel there's concern or question, um, don't deny yourself that. But if ever you're in doubt, his dad was in the military and said to him, if ever you have doubt as to a reason why or how something is happening or why it's happening, just there's one simple thing you can do, and that is follow the money trail.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: the more I look into it, the more I, I am astounded just at how much money, like you said, has been created to help people that couldn't work, but also and I may be wrong here, but Pfizer alone have made $49 uh, billion billion from this Mm. so far, and -hmm. that was even a few months ago I heard that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, and and, and here's my other question to you. As a naturopath, if you advised somebody took a herb or they used something medicinally and you incorrectly told them what to do and they got very sick or injured and were hospitalised, I know you would be in serious trouble. Mm, mm. How do these companies not have any liability? How does mm. that happen and how is that okay?
0: Mm, well, you just said it, follow the money trail, you know. Um, I know a doctor in Australia who um, were having a conversation about what politically, and this was years ago, this is pre-COVID, what politically he can do in medicine, which is insane, right, because politics shouldn't come into medicine. Um, But he said to me when he was talking about whether he could prescribe, um, you know, intravenous vitamin C for certain conditions, for example, he said it's perfectly okay if I kill you, basically, using approved methods of treatment. But if I do something that's a bit off label or outside the box, then I'm in trouble. And that happens like what I think in the States the third largest cause of death is medicines that are prescribed for their correct reason. <laughs> you know, so these are not even medicines that are um incorrectly prescribed they're they're prescribed for the theoretical right reason but they're the third largest cause of death you know so reactions are not rare and you're right you know if a if a naturopath or an integrative doctor or a you know chiropractor god forbid (laughs) would um prescribe something to someone and they have an either an adverse reaction which is usually usually, I'm going to say, not always, but usually vast, you know, incredibly mild compared to a pharmaceutical reaction, then, you know, heads get chopped off and shaming occurs and, um, you know, they'll end up in the paper and this terrible person doing these dangerous woo-woo things, you know, whereas, gosh, I've – I really should have kept a record over the years. I've said I should because I could write a book of all the stories I've heard of people's experience in medical care that is mind-boggling that that's allowed to happen, like how barbaric things are and how devastating some treatments are. So, yeah, it's a... it's a tricky one and I think that, you know, the maxim of first do no harm, that's certainly gone out the window with this um, because, again, there is no way that anybody can say with true conviction that this is safe and effective, that these vaccines are safe and effective because there just isn't the data. Maybe, maybe you know, in 10, 15 years' time, we'll find out actually they worked out pretty well, <laughs> you know, and we've got to be open to that as well. However, we need to remember they're still in research phase, they're still in trial phase, we just do not have the information. So there's no way that those statements can be said with certainty and to say it with certainty is to lie, in, in my opinion, yeah.
1: Thank you for that. I I know this is a heavy or a big open conversation, and I do (laughs) believe that we've been saying it, I hope, um, you know, with love and respect to all Mm. professions. I want to bring it back to us now, Mm. people that are, whether you've had the vaccine, feel you've been forced into getting it or you Mm. wanted to genuinely get it. Either way, Mm. it doesn't matter where we sit on the scale. What would you say are some of the greatest things off the top of your head that we could be doing to honoring ourselves, our health, our well-being, no matter where we sit on the spectrum, to protect ourselves from the virus or the mm-hmm. vaccine and the ongoing, unknowing potentiality of what could happen with the vaccine? What are what are your what's your advice?
0: So um lots of things, but we can keep it simple as well. So number one is I'm a big believer in Medical treatment's are personal choice, first of all. So I really want to make that clear, especially after the discussion that we've just had. If um, someone does want to have the vaccine, I fully support that, you know, but I don't support mandates and coercion. Um, so I have no problem with anybody choosing to have it. So there's that, first of all. Secondly, whether you have it or not, you can support your system Um, in many ways. So the foundations are things that you can't um, replace by any drug or any supplement, and they are the foundations of life. So good water, nutritious food, sleep, laughter, play, rest, uh, sunshine. These things we need on a daily basis. We can't always get the sun if it's a cloudy day, but, you know, We essentially need these things on a daily basis to keep our mind, our heart and our immune system and our hormones in good nick, okay? And the more regulated and balanced and well-functioning all those things are, the better resilience we are going to have through times of stress, whether it's physical, mental or emotional stress, yeah, or spiritual stress for that matter. And ironically, it's often when we get stressed that we will, those things will fall off the map. We will eat the crappy food or we won't stay hydrated or we'll have more alcohol or, you know, whatever the choice may be, but it's a thing that adds more burden and takes away resilience. So my, my big um, take home would be to use this time as a time to really focus on nourishing you on all levels, nourishing, cleanse, you know, clear out what doesn't serve you, whether it's food, relationships, toxins in your environment, um, nasty cleaning products, clear all that stuff out and then nourish yourself with time, with space, with sleep, with good food, with nourishing relationships, with laughter, Uh, With sunshine, get those things in as a very um, base, very uh, the very foundation on which everything else is built from. Then on top of that, there are additional things that you can do because we are in a heightened state of pressure. If everything was hunky dory, then maybe food and lifestyle would, you know, sort it all out. Um, but with extra pressure, sometimes we need extra support as well. So for me, for example, because things have been way more intense clinic wise, I know I need a lot more hands on, um, care. So I am going to have acupuncture more regularly. I have, um, Cairo more regularly and i need to get in some more massages i haven't quite done that so regularly yet but i'm needing that to have some holding for myself as well because of a lot of the holding that's i'm doing for others at the moment and the intensity of that at the moment so you might um and the listeners might uh relate to that too that there's more need for more nurturing and care in that respect. Um, for those who are choosing to have the jab, um, there are things that you can do to the best of our knowledge because, again, we're all learning in this at the moment, so there's no definitives like, yes, this is going to totally protect you, like we, ju- we just don't know that. But from the research that has been done in the last 18 months and what we are learning about the function of... Um, of these uh interventions there are certain things that appear to be some at least somewhat protective um, so you can put protocols in place for that there are there are nutrients like resveratrol and quercetin and n-acetylcysteine and zinc and vitamin d and vitamin c and things like that that can be very helpful there are other things too that might help to um, prevent some other DNA or oxidative damage or um, damage from graphene oxide and stuff like that, like, you know, zeolite or glutathione. It's kind of you want to assess what's going on for your health with the help of a good health practitioner and then come up with a little protocol of support. Um, two of my kind of daily basics at the moment for an extra hit of nourishment is... Um, two whole food uh, supplements, basically. One is created by one of our dear friends, um, Sheridan Austin, and her Forage For You blend, which is just um, an incredible superfood. It's called the Mother's Blend, but it's really fantastic for literally everybody. Um, well pretty much everybody as we said one size does not fit all (laughs) however unless you've got any um, sensitivities to any of the food ingredients in there because it's all based on food it pretty much is um, good for um, most people let's say the other thing that I like to mix into that is a little something I recently formulated um, for inner origin called glow which was originally made as. A skin support formula for to um, slow down skin aging and formation of wrinkles and sun damage and all of that kind of stuff um, and so it has collagen in it and it 's got a lot of Australian native um, foods in there which are incredibly high in Vitamin C and antioxidants. So, you know, Australia boasts the highest vitamin C containing foods on the planet. So, that's pretty amazing. So, we've got that in there, but also things like resveratrol and maritime pine bark extract and astaxanthin, which are all incredible for skin, but um, they are because they're so anti inflammatory and antioxidant and they have immune modulating effects as well. And, un- Beknownst to me at the time, what I was formulating was actually also an awesome, you know, immune protective formula within that. So a lot of those um, nutrients have since been studied in the last 12 months in regards to COVID prevention and protection. So, um, yeah, the the Inner Origin Glow and the Foraged For You Mother's Blend, those two are just a really nice nourishing daily kind of staple to give your system that extra bit of support with everything going on at the moment so yeah
1: amazing let alone doing things like your beautiful 9v9 challenges getting veggies into us following along a lot of the things that you have on your website around whole food nutrition look I could honestly ask you a million and one questions (laughs) I have I've got a list here as you've been talking I keep writing more questions so maybe we can do another episode I I was gonna say (laughs) I actually think I would really love that because I do believe for many of us listening to you there is a lot to take in but there's also So Mm. a lot to to allow to calibrate within our heart, if that's the Mm -hmm. right thing. I think one of the biggest things I've taken away from you today is no matter what your belief, no matter where you're at, remember fear is the greatest driver for stress, which then affects our immune system. Mm. Either way, we're compromising our health coming from that space. So to go back into our heart, to truly trust that wherever we're at right here, right now is the right place, and there's always more we can do. I want to ask you then from that perspective, and I dare say there's been moments where you've challenged and questioned yourself, no doubt, as I have. Mm. How have you stayed true to yourself and what do you believe then? You know my my question around I I do believe self-love is one of the greatest um, platforms, foundations for all learning, all growth, all expansion, and certainly being able to come from a heart-centered space. If that's the case, how have you chosen to love yourself through this process, the highs and lows, but also your definition of self-love?
0: Yeah, well, so I guess um, my definition of self-love is to really acknowledge and accept with compassion all parts of ourselves. You know, we're we're not these... um, binary kind of creatures, we're not, we're not all good, we're not all bad, we're not all, we're not all joy and frivolity and we're not all shame and disgust but we all have all of those experiences, right? We all have all of those parts within us. Uh, we, we have the fear, the anxiety, the ecstasy, the bliss, the, um, the sadness, the grief. Um, and I find it is the only way we can really love ourselves is to befriend, befriend all of those parts of ourselves. And I think, especially at the current time, one thing we really need to befriend is our fear. Fear isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just, what do we do with it or how do we treat it? You know? So I'm a, um, big believer in befriending our fear because a lot of people have a fear of fear, right? Don't want to be fear, that's don't want to be afraid. That's a that's a bad emotion. I don't want to feel that. Um it's uncomfortable, you know. But if we actually go, oh I feel fear. Okay, that's interesting. Like let's get curious about that. What what about this situation? Like when you take it down to the nuts and bolts of it, what is it about this situation I am fearful of and what am I making that mean and where might that belief have come from? And if we approach that um, just as if we approach an aspect of shame or wrongness about ourselves with an open heart and with compassion, then it is amazing what will start to shift within ourselves and it's amazing how we can gain new perspectives and it's amazing how we then start to act from a different place and it totally changes how you move through the world. So, yeah, a big part of self-love for me, you know, it's very important that I have a mentor to go through that kind of thing. I really think basically everybody needs a counsellor or a therapist who helps with embodied experiences, not just talk therapy necessarily but um yeah for me having those regular sessions to go and explore okay well this is a big theme that's coming up for me at the moment I'm feeling quite activated about this or I've got a lot of grief coming up right now or I've got I've, I've you know feeling anxiety like I've never felt before like what where is that actually coming from you know and um Approaching it with softness and compassion, because once we do that, we can then do that for others as well. Once we've done that for ourselves, if we don't accept those parts of ourselves, then typically what will happen is when we see that in someone else, we will judge it or shame it or um, separate from it, rather than going, "I see, I see what's going on for you here. I can see that this is a really challenging experience for you. You know, I I support you." You know, so you could say those words to yourself and you could say those words to another, but we need to cultivate that compassion and connection within um and for all parts of ourselves. Yeah.
1: So beautifully said. I I do believe also daily loving, caring rituals, something mm. as simple as a hot bath. Yeah. grounding, earthing and bare feet, just standing on the sand or the the grass and looking up at the mm-hmm. sky and saying three things we're grateful for, breath work, mm-hmm. all these things cost nothing except a Absolutely. bit of your time, time and commitment with discipline to do it every day. And of course, for me, the you know my rituals with oils for me has become even more important. And I've been doing this for over three decades. And I have mm. to be honest with you, the immune boost blend that I created yep. again was about stimulating our immune boost, uh, our immune system has also become an incredibly important part. When I look at the ingredients that I put into that blend, just how powerful it matches a number of the protocols. So That's I do, right.
0: yeah, and, and I do- additional pine oil as well. I've been. Um, you've probably been going through a lot of pine oil because I I've been recommending everybody go get that from you yeah. yeah
1: well it's a beautiful blend, and guess what the the energetic or the um, psycho side of pine is direction, focus, mm-hmm. clarity, mm-hmm. inspiration, mm-hmm. big picture. And you only have to imagine yeah. standing in a pine forest. To yeah. actually feel the power of the hug of the pine trees and then the beautiful soft earth that you stand on when all those pine needles fall mm. and the smell. And it's just to me, mm. if there was one oil that I'd be reaching for through this time, it is definitely pine.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so yeah. I want to acknowledge you for that and thank you. Um, you know, coming to the end, I, I would love to mm. just ask you. Finally, your final message to the beautiful self-love podcast listener. We get about 5,000 downloads a week. We get people tuning into this when there's so many amazing podcasts out there and so much information. But my intention for this was always to break open ourselves, crack open ourselves so that we can feel it to heal it and to mm-hmm. really honor who we are and hear each other's stories with inspiration, hopefully not judgment, with clarity, not cloudiness. And then if there is any of those feelings, go after it. Like you say, be curious as to why things are happening as opposed to judging it. But your final message and then your beautiful final quote, something that you're loving at the moment that you could leave us with.
0: hmm Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, you nailed it there with you need to feel it to heal it. So um, the the flip side of that is whatever we resist persists, right? So um, I would just encourage some softness and compassion for yourself first of all because these are really challenging times that we're all navigating right now and just really acknowledge that you know you specifically every person listening to this you are doing the best you can with the resources that you have at the moment and um give yourself some love some compassion some high fives for for how you've traveled through it so far and just be open to being curious about what you're feeling and instead of shutting it off or Um, numbing it out with food or alcohol or anything else Um, spend some time to compassionately get curious about what you're feeling because remember you are not your feelings you know like your feelings are a feedback system but you're feeling your feelings you're not the feelings so you don't need to identify with them and that can help I find in making that um journey of curiosity a bit easier it's like you can go there and you can see that that doesn't feel good you can feel that it doesn't feel good and that's okay because it's not you and it and by just by seeing it sometimes is enough for it to transmute um just by seeing it with compassion can be enough for it to transform into something really beautiful so yeah Approach yourselves with some love and compassion. Do things that are really nourishing for yourself um, and from there, you know, seeds will grow and spread. Um, As far as my favourite quote, it's been a favourite quote for a couple of decades now probably and it remains and I think it is very apt for these times as well. It's a quote by Rumi and it is, Beyond the idea of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. So for me, again, it kind of does away with with our ideas and beliefs of what is wrong and right, you know, And it just is. Whatever it is at the moment, it just is. Whatever we're experiencing, it's the experience that we're having. We don't need to make it right or wrong and we don't need to make somebody else right or wrong for their experience of what's happening. And if we can go to that field beyond where there isn't the right or wrong and meet there, then, oh, imagine the hugs and the conversations and the chats and the laughs and the joy and the play that we could have. So... Yeah, that's the quote I'd love to leave you with today.
1: You are one of the most beautiful humans on the planet. Not only are you incredibly delicious inside and out, but you are beautiful, you are kind, you are caring. We've had some beautiful conversations Mm -hmm. over many years. We've travelled and spoken together. We've worked together. We've played together. And I am so proud and honoured to share you with the Self Love Podcast listener and I truly hope that every person listening to this will share it with people they love and care for as well, knowing that we are indeed all doing the best that we can. Beautiful Helen Patteron, if someone wanted to follow you, get in touch with you, have sessions with you in your clinic, where's the best place that people can get hold of you?
0: Uh, The best place, Kimmy, and by the way, hashtag (laughs) (laughs) mirror. I uh, love and feel and think all those same things about you. Um, So, yes, where to find me, though, Uh, www.HelenPatterin.com and you can also find me on Instagram at Helen Patterin, Facebook Helen Patterin, just Helen Patterin, easy.
1: Just Helen Paterham.
0: <laughs> one- Not just
1: no Helen <laughs> <laughs> As we always say to all our favourite people in the planet, you know, HP for P- PM,
0: you know, like I just
1: think, God, <laughs> oh, let's do that. Oh, I know many Keep people wouldn't, give, wouldn't want that responsibility and I do, mm. you know, want to take my hand off for all the noble souls out there doing everything they mm. can for the greater good of all. And, you know, as you said halfway through this podcast, you know, some people are really truly, a lot of us are really doing this from the heart. With all, whatever side we sit on, we do believe in the greater good for all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, if we can just um, get in that one one thing I'll add actually, you know, if we're spending that time with ourselves as well and getting to know ourselves better over the years, better and better, then what we will notice is we can hear our intuition louder and louder might start off as a little whisper um, but it will grow and that intuition is our greatest source of information and wisdom you know there's information that you can't get from books and studies Um, not all information is of the mind and intellectual and we certainly in a culture that really prizes intellectual knowledge However, there is such power in intuition. And so the more we spend in times of quiet and play and in our body, the more we're going to hear that intuition and the more that that will guide us as to what is best for us, what's best for our families, um, and that's, that will change the world.
1: Helen Patterson, thank you so much for being on the Self Love Podcast.
0: My pleasure, Kim. Thank you for having me.